Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Today, we're doing something a little different and kind of special. This past week, I moderated a webinar presented by our friends at RingDNA that was titled Positioning Sales and Marketing for What's Next. Now, the insights and perspectives shared in this webinar were so good and relevant to what's going on today that I felt we just had to share them with all of you. So I asked my producer to get this episode out as quickly as we could, which he did, in terms of why you're listening to it today. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the big week this podcast just had. I know we have a ton of new listeners, so I just want to quickly recap the last week. We renamed this podcast from Accelerate with Andy Paul to Sales Enablement with Andy Paul. And along with that, we relaunched with a whole new graphic look and feel, and we're now presenting multiple episodes per week. And this change has been awfully incredible. So we're incredibly grateful for all of you who have supported us by listening to the show, telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and a review. Because these are invaluable signals to the sales community that Sales Enablement with Andy Paul is where you come to acquire the knowledge information, acumen, and skills that will enable you to have knowledge-based sales interactions with your buyers, sales interactions that have value for them. Okay, so now why am I putting out this special episode? Because here's the deal. In the rapidly changing economic environment in which we find ourselves, the future of sales and marketing is all about the buying experience and selling process becoming more human, not less. Now more than ever, Buyers are demanding real-time experiences that are contextually relevant and authentic. And the question we're confronted with is, how do we, as sellers and as marketers, effectively respond to that demand? So join me and our all-star panel of experts as we discuss the specific approaches, tactics, and technologies that teams can apply right now to prepare for what's next. So joining us on the webinar today are Matthew Sweezy, Salesforce Director of Market Strategy and author of the Amazon bestselling book, The Context Marketing Revolution, How to Motivate, Motivate Buyers in an Age of Infinite Media. Also joining us is Craig Swensrud, founder of Qualified and Get Feedback. He's a former Chief Marketing Officer of Salesforce and Campaign Monitor. And also joining us is William Tyree, Chief Marketing Officer of Ring DNA. And I'm your host, Andy Paul. So uh, we just want to jump into it, uh, panel. How's everybody doing today? Doing great. Yeah, well, thanks for having yes. us. Perfect. Hopefully everybody's staying safe and healthy at this time. So first question, why don't I throw this out to uh, Craig Swensrud. Uh, for the last several years, there's been a lot written about how to future-proof your sales strategy, may future-proof your marketing strategy. Actually, this could be a question for the panel. And how to future-proof yourself, the individual seller or marketer, yeah, so what's going on today with the COVID-19 pandemic? Has that obsoleted those future-proofing strategies? Well, I'd say it has in a way. You know, so what is future-proofing? It's, we all talk about it in sales and marketing. What can we do today to prepare ourselves and our company uh, for the future, given the fact that the future is slightly uncertain? And uh, for, for us, classically, that's meant like anticipating changes in demand, uh, what the customer wants changes in what the competition is potentially going to do to disrupt the market. Like Sweezy talks about uh, Tesla, for example, and Mercedes-Benz mm -hmm. not, not anticipating the fact that Tesla would appear on the scene and that changed the competitive landscape. Um, but it was, I'd say it's pretty hard to prepare for the fact that there's a once in a century global pandemic that has uh, come upon us. 
And I think the good thing for sales and marketing teams is that we have been preparing to future-proof uh, our companies uh, for this wave of digital that's been happening for the last 10 years. So unifying our customer data, bringing everything online, bringing ads from traditional media uh, to the new media, creating communities of advocates like Salesforce has done with their Trailblazer community, which is all online. But what this means for us now, I think, is there's a kind of a stark change because a lot of the things that we have been doing and relying upon are just gone. So for example, events are gone. Field mm -hmm. marketing is gone overnight. Sales presentations, we used to bring people to our executive briefing center, right? For the, for the closing calls, those are gone. In fact, my ad on highway, what my billboard on highway 101 right now is pretty much worthless because nobody's driving by it to see it. And so like- Sorry, we don't, mean, we don't mean to laugh about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, is the, what is the future proofing now? I'd say that like right now we need to retrench and say, we got to double down on everything digital, figure out how these core things that we used to do, like I'm sure at Salesforce, there's 100 people in a room right now thinking, what is Dreamforce? 100,000 person community, in-person community event in San Francisco. How does that need to evolve? And I know they're figuring that out now. And also the new and creative ways that we can engage with buyers and we need to engage with buyers given the fact that the buying landscape has just suddenly changed. So I'll pass it over to the other guys to comment on some of those ideas. Sweezy, go ahead. Yes, I think there's two aspects, and I totally agree with Craig that the things that we thought we were just going to simply just you know continue forward in small steps, um, like the the very tactical specific things of what do we do today, are radically changed. You mean great comment? Uh, out of home doesn't exist. No one's no one can go out of their home. So if we had an out of home strategy, um, current point in time, that's really not going to happen. I, I do think that there's a couple of things. Um, that we've also thought about that, that future proofing still needs to exist. And I think some of the things that we've been planning for, just like Craig talked about the digital transformation um, of organizations that only accelerates moving forward, right? So the things that we knew we were supposed to do, I think have a shortened timeline on us must do them now. Um, such as if we weren't thinking about how do we engage in a digital presence, if you hadn't already started thinking about how do you take an offline event and move it online or make it virtual in some way, shape or form, those things that people have been doing are only more important and more critical now. And then specifically moving forward, um, we need to really double down and focus on some of those core things that we knew we were supposed to be focusing on for the future. It just brings those um, closer to home, talking about experience across the customer journey um, as a specific example. So, you know, I think there's a, a, both sides to it. William, how about you? You know, we talk a lot about the things that we don't have right now. Like we don't have cars, you know, viewing that billboard on the freeway right now. I think this is this is a time where, uh, speaking about digital transformation, we do have the option, right, to take those messages and push them in really highly targeted channels, you know, on the web to people, right? So this is this is sometimes I think, I talked with my wife about, this is really bad, but how bad would it have been 15 years ago, right? Before some of the capabilities that we have right now. Right. So um, <clears throat> I think a lot of the future-proofing things uh, in some sectors that have been prevalent, like the ability to remote manage sales teams globally. You know, we have a lot of customers at Ring today who have been remote managing sales teams for 10 years or more. And um, you know, now all that has just been fast forward, accelerated like Sweezy was talking about. So I think a lot of the groundwork for this time period has been laid, depending on what sector you're on, and you're in, and and what you were doing before. So I think now, though, everybody's on notice. You know, 
For example, if you were a marketing team that wasn't particularly aligned with not only sales, but customer success and support on messaging, uh, on the ability to be agile, to shift a focus on certain sectors, uh, you know, very nimbly, um, this is a hard time for you. And I think organizations are having to learn to do that really quickly. Yeah, I, I listen to you guys talk, it, it reminds me of this uh, quote I saw from Scott Galloway, professor at NYU, uh, this last week. I'm talking about, yeah, this doesn't change the future, what's going on, it just accelerates it. And it seems like that's really what you were talking about, is everything we were sort of anticipating was going to happen anyway is going to come at us just as much faster. That's right. So, so how do you, looking at it now from the customer's perspective, is how do you envision that the, the B2B customer's expectations will change as a result of this? I mean, are they going to be changed as a result of what we're going through right now? And what do you think that will be? Absolutely. Uh, the B2B customer expectations are, have, have already changed. And they've changed in terms of how we expect to be sold to. Right? I think that a lot of the things that we were, we were all doing a month ago um, have already changed. The messaging and communication that we're hearing as customers, as buyers from sales teams, needs to have changed. I think a lot of the strategies, particularly some of the outbound strategies, um, I have a, a potential uh, vendors that are reaching out to me and all of a sudden I'm receiving their messages and I'm thinking like, you know, what is going on? Why are you talking to me like this? Um, I don't even understand what you do or your value proposition and it wouldn't have bothered me actually, you know, a month ago, but now for some reason this is, this is, this is bothering me and I have heightened expectations now for the digital experiences that I, that, you know, that I, that I am receiving. And what that means when I'm on, when I'm receiving a sales presentation and it's done digitally, mm -hmm. um, what's the quality of the salesperson and the sales manager and the sales engineer and how do they move through this digital experience? And I'm also wondering, you know, I used to ex engage with vendors a lot of times in the offline world and I'll kind of come back to field marketing events or, the Salesforce world, you know, world tour or customer dinners that we used to have or executive briefings that I, you know, that I mentioned previously. And all these things are, my expectations are changing moving forward because I might not need to do those things in person. I'm now wondering like, what is the value actually of doing some of those things in person and why can't I do them digitally and how are these, how are these vendors going to evolve? So I think we have changed things permanently. Expectations have changed permanently to what degree, I'm not exactly certain of. And so just to follow up on that though, is, is are there certain interactions though, that, just talking for yourself, that you'd want to have in person? Uh, I mean, of course, I, I, coming back to one of the things that, that we invented, the whole team of people at Salesforce invented is this magical event-based experience. And you see it when you go to Dreamforce that it's, it's transformational, it's moving, it's enlightening. Uh, it's it's inspiring. It's connecting people with one another. It gives me motivation to come back to my company and transform my entire company. And of course, that's why Dreamforce is a conference like no other because it it, it evokes that um, that feeling uh, on the on the participant. And I still want to have that uh, now as a Salesforce partner. I'm no longer with the company, uh, but I want to go to conferences like that and have those types of experiences. And I'm I'm concerned, frankly, that not only um, will I not be able to have those experiences in our industry, but as a vendor, I don't know how I'm going to be able to deliver those experiences mm -hmm. di digitally. Susie, what about you? Yes, I think there's two points. Um, 
One, I think there's been a debate going on for a long time with a lot of organizations about what should we be delivering to our buyer, specifically to the B2B buyer. I think a lot of businesses and higher executives have been um, have, have not really understood that the buyer expects experiences. They hear, you know, we all understand as a marketer, we understand experiences are what we should be delivering. That was a hard sell for a lot of marketers to make to the executive teams prior to the scenario. So I think those that understood those changes already existed. In fact, when we start looking at do B2B buyers, are they more affected by these changes? They already were much more affected than B2C consumers. Uh, modern technology is changing their buying behavior in a delta of about 10% more than it's changing B2C behavior were B2B buyers willing to pay more for experiences? That was already true. In fact, 86% of B2B buyers would say they are willing to pay more for great experience, whereas B2C consumers, that was only 56%, right? So the underlying foundation of what B2B expected was already there. I just don't think a lot of brands had woken up to that idea yet. And I think this essentially brings them fast forward and says, you have no other choice. Right? If you don't really understand that the experience is what has to be delivered, you're not going to be able to deliver it. And right now we're talking about that experience being delivered virtually rather than physically. I think moving forward, how things are going to change is I think every individual is going to have a, a wider expectation or a wider view of what is possible, right? So we've all had to do things in different ways, which has created new habits. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it, every age group has had to use Zoom. And you may have been in an industry where, you know, you weren't super technical and your buyers weren't super technical. That is not the case anymore, right? Yeah. Every demographic has been exposed to new possibilities. And here's the biggest point we need to understand. It's not that they were just exposed to it. It's that they were exposed to it. They figured out how to use it. And the, the fear of change and adoption no longer exists. They've already adopted it. They already have the technology on their phone and are comfortable with using it. And I think that's what we really need to realize mm -hmm. is what they're now comfortable with totally changes what the expectation is going to be. And it's going to be much more digital. Um, they're going to ask questions of why do we need to do this in person? Um, and I think we really need to focus on time, right? Anything that we do that is going to require someone's time, we need to really think, is there a better way to do this um, in a quicker, faster, a more efficient way? And that's the, the roles and the aspects of the experience that I think are going to change and how the B2B buyer is going to expect things delivered differently in the future. Okay, William. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And I mean, staying on that theme of, of just experience and the value that teams are delivering. I mean, now more than ever, teams really have to be conscious of, um, you know, the clarity and urgency of the value messages, especially in B2B. Um, I think there's, there's at least two things come, that come to mind on that. One is, I think data, you know, the quality of the data that you have as an organization really dictate the level to which you're able to bring that data to bear to enhance the quality of the, the context of that conversation to make sure that, for example, in a one-to-one -one conversation between a sales rep and an individual uh, facilitated by marketing, perhaps, that you're really able to um, you know, say the right words you know, in real time, understand what the situation is in real time and not have disconnects there. Um, some of that is being powered by AI, as, as Craig knows you know, with his product for sure. But I, I think the other thing that is really interesting is yesterday I was on a call with a bunch of sales managers and we were getting data on you know what they're hearing, what kind of KPIs are important to them in this time right now. And it's really interesting to see what's kind of moved up. Um, like a, a metric like voice sentiment and measuring voice energy on phone calls is, is suddenly really, really important because um, it, oddly, um, 
the voice energy and sentiment that maybe your sales leader or your sales rep was delivering a month ago is maybe no longer appropriate. In some cases, we were able to listen and hear, uh, for example, that somebody that was a little bit too happy sounding, too upbeat on a phone call, didn't express, as it turned out, the proper empathy on a sales call and was somehow less successful. Um, it's really important that people are paying attention to those things that are admittedly difficult to measure right now, but but I think context is everything. Well, I want to follow up with something Suzy had said, and well, actually Craig brought it up to us. So, you know, if we're not able to have these physical events and yet the customers now have more expectations for an experience, what, what are those experiences? What are those experiences, I guess? You know, if you're talking about in a one-on-one -on -one situation between a, a sales rep and a, a customer, what what is the sales rep going to deliver? Yes, let, let's, let's I'll jump on that first. So let's talk about this in two different formats. One is what can we do today? And then what are we going to be able to do tomorrow? Sure. Um, so in terms of experiences today, um, what we're finding a lot of times is one, there's only virtual interactions, but things that still exist, direct mail can still be sent. Um, so there's the ability to send things and actually have physical interactions with people, even though it may be a distance. Mm -hmm. um, so those are interactions too. It's we're seeing sales totally change the game plan of what they're doing. And now they're acting as guides. So much more consultative where they're able to sit down and dive deeper into what are your actual needs and concerns? How can I actually guide you to the next steps? And then a lot of times that is not specifically their product. That's more or less, I'm just helping you as any way, shape, and form that I can at this, this point in time. Mm -hmm. I think once we get back to somewhat of a normal sense where human interaction will be possible, and that's not you know, too far off in the distant future, we're going to need to see things in a different way, right? So one of the things that we did is we had, um, Craig was talking about a lot of our events. And so one of our major events is world tours. And these are about 5,000 person events on average. Sure different places in the world. So we had the Sydney World Tour, which had to pivot in a period of 10 days. It went from a totally in-person event um, to a totally virtual event. And one of the things that we were able to do is we said, all right, well, listen, if people can't come to us, we can still go to them. So our sales team, we opened up budget for them to buy catering and for them to have swag. And they put on listening and viewing parties inside of our customers' offices. So if the customer couldn't bring an entire team to us, we brought everything to them, right? Mm -hmm. So there's different ways that we need to think about these things and think about these interactions. Um, and th those are going to be, I think, pretty standard moving forward. Craig? Yeah, I think we've talked about um, events a fair bit. And certainly, those are things that are the most impacted when you think about this, things like the Salesforce World Tour. And now um, I'm thinking, wow, I used, to, I used to put budget towards those items. And now I'm not sure what that level of sponsorship is going to bring because this level of event-based marketing, field marketing, it's going to radically transform this year. And Salesforce, what they did with the Sydney World Tour, like it just scratches the surface of what the future of event-based marketing is going to look like. It's not, I'll tell you what, it's not going to look like a webinar. Some companies are canceling their conferences and they're putting like a, they're putting on a, web, a, right. a, a virtual summit where it's just one-way communication. Like basically you join the webinar and you listen and there's no interaction. There's no interaction with the participants. There's no feeling. I'm not inspired. I'm not motivated. I don't feel like I just walked onto that, into that, that world tour. And that's, that's not, I'll tell you what, that's not the answer, but there is some future state. And I guarantee a killer event marketing uh, team, like, like the folks they have at, at Salesforce is going to define that, that new bar in a digital world. I'm super excited for that. Because yeah. I feel like there's going to be technology that's going to be invented that's going to push the barrier, and it's going to it's going to be what basically what Zoom has done for us all. And when I say us all, it's not just us at work; 
It's not just us talking to our customers. It's families that are celebrating Easter virtually on Zoom. It's you know moms and dads and grandmas that have never been on Zoom before uh, that are now uh, having this celebration. Like that's transformative in our kind of personal lives right now. But there's going to be experience-based transformation in this area of event-based marketing and field marketing in ways customers come together that we don't even we can't even see that right now. Okay. Well, let's pivot just a little bit, but it's still sort of staying on track is, you know, one of the themes here is, is how artificial intelligence supports and drives some of these changes. Uh, Suisi, we'll start with, with you, with your new book, um, Context Marketing Revolution. You say that uh, we can't do without AI in the era of infinite media, that context is the key, and AI, the barrier we must break through to reach and motivate the modern consumer. So, Explain what you meant by that. Yeah, so AI is two sides. Um, so often we think of artificial intelligence from a business standpoint. How do I buy AI or implement AI to make my operations more efficient, to make my product better, fill in whatever you think of. There's the other side. There's the consumer. And the consumer and their daily lives, we never really realize how impacted they are by artificial intelligence in their actual daily life. So here's the basic scenario. What happened is the world creates so much content that it is impossible for an individual to manage that amount of content. It's mm -hmm. impossible to derive any value from such a massive feed. So what we do is all of those digital assets have implemented artificial intelligence to now curate our lives for us. Look at any digital format that you touch and artificial intelligence is if it's not prominent today, it's going to be tomorrow. And that's from a Google search to a social feed to your email inbox to the websites that you visit and the apps that you use. So what we must realize is this is the post AI consumer. They are given the experiences that are only the, the most engaging for them at that moment, which is resetting their expectations again for what we deliver and how we deliver it. Um, so we must realize for us to reach them, we're going to have to go through artificial intelligence if it's going to be through a distribution channel. And what is that distribution channel? What is that AI optimizing for? It's optimizing for their individual context at the moment. So you can just think about any channel, look at your Google search. We all ask the same question. We get different answers based on the context of who we are, where we are. Um, your social feeds, they're not chronological, they're contextual feeds. Um, and they're, the things that are in there are the things that the AI expects you are going to engage with most because that's the metrics that they're judged on. So that's kind of what I'm talking about by AI and its effect on the consumer. So for the rest of you then, how do you serve Envision? Also, Sweezy as well. So how do you envision this is going to impact you know, the selling experience in B2B? I think as consumers, we're all now coming to grips only years later on what is AI. Um, and we're seeing it pervasively across these digital experiences. Whether so we know it or example, not. For, I, I kind of now know it, right? It's like when I get in my car now, Google Maps, or when I used to get in my car to commute, commute to work, <laughs> Google, Google Maps would just tell me this is the best way for you. It would actually know I'm in my car at this time of day, and I'm probably trying to go from work to home. And it would just say, you're trying to go home. Here's the best way to do it. Pretty awesome, right? Mm -hmm. Um, my, when I open up Instagram on my phone, I know my newsfeed is curated by AI. It's curated because it's better to me than if it were just sorted chronologically, mm -hmm. right? It, it's more exciting to me. When I opened up Netflix last weekend and Netflix said, you should watch this show, The Money Heist, which is a killer show on Netflix, by the way, I highly recommend it, right? Netflix recommended it to me because it knows everything else that I watched and people like me watch. But then when I come to work, I, it's, it's still a little bit of a mystery. And in sales and marketing, I know this because I feel it myself. I hear it from everybody that's, that's in the community around me. What does AI mean? Is it this magical scoring algorithm? 
Is it chatbots that are going to replace my SDRs or, or auto dial and place phone calls for me? Is it some predictive content engine? It's like, how do I put these pieces together and define what it means? So just for one example, one of the things that we're doing at our company is we're using real-time automation and intelligence to help our sales reps do their job better. And so what I mean by that is what we used to do is we used to have our team sit back and wait for either somebody to call us through the 1-800 number or fill out a form on our website. And now what we do is when a, when a visitor lands on our website, we say, well, what do we know about this person? Because the context is the website. We have somebody in context on our website. And we say, well, let's go see if we know about this person from our marketing automation system. Or let's grab the data from our CRM system and, and augment that. Or let's use Clearbit, which is like a third-party intelligence system that tries to figure out, we think this person works for this company in this industry with this number of employees. And then we look at kind of intent. What are they doing on our website? Are they on our pricing page? Are they reading a blog post? Or, and then we basically take those things and we mash them together in a set of simple rules that say, what are the people who are on our site that, are, that represent the types of people that, that we want to sell to? And instead of having our SDRs kick back and wait for somebody to talk to them, they proactively engage in conversations right. with those people. It's really, really simple, and it generates for us more pipeline than the old way that we were doing it. It's a great example. Love it. William? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, first of all, Qualified does a great job. We use Qualified, and it, it does a fantastic job of, of I, I wouldn't say, you know, it doesn't replace the SDR at all. What it does actually is a handoff, a really warm lead that's, you know, surrounded with contextual data that makes it possible for that SDR to you know, actually have an intelligent, um, authentic um, experience with that person in real time, which is for us a huge advantage over, you know, obviously we still get a ton of people who would prefer to fill out a web form, right? But I think that that level is decreasing as the bots themselves like qualified are getting better, uh, especially we talked about the, the importance of having, you know, customized experiences. Uh, you know, the ability to actually create an, an independent uh, tailored journey around a specific piece of content is really on your website is really, really um, important. And that just makes, you know, that's a good example for me of, of, of AI that actually makes people better and uh, facilitates better conversations. I think the second thing though, that is really interesting is back to what Sweezy said about curation. I think curation is, is really the key word, not only for consumers, but for managers too. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of improvements just in how sales managers can be more productive. And, you know, one ways we do that is with a conversation intelligence tool called Conversation AI um, that actually curates, you know, all the phone calls across your entire organization. So you have a sales team out there, it could be dozens, could be hundreds, could be thousands of reps out there having all these conversations. Depending on what your um, manager to rep ratio is, it may be impossible for your managers really to set aside enough time to really listen to all the calls they need to, or even understand what those right calls are. But I think a good AI tool can actually curate those and surface those actionable moments. So you can know when you need to listen to a call that might have a really important piece of objection handling, for example, or what if a competitor is mentioned, how does your rep really address that? Yeah, I think getting back to also what Craig had spoken about, and, and Suiza will come to you next, is that that uh, you're talking about the integration of the AI with the human. So you're really enhancing, you said that conversation, you're enhancing that interaction from a human to human perspective, rather than saying, hey, this is a machine to human purely interface. Recognize that we still need the humans. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and actually what we find is um, consumers really don't care if it's a machine or a human. They just expect three things out of this interaction. It'd be fast, it'd be accurate, and it'd be humane, right? So they, they, if we look at all the data and say, what do people want out of a chatbot experience? What do they want? They look at these things as 24-7. They're always on. They can get them the answer faster than a human. They're better at connecting people to humans quicker. Um, so there's a lot of value in these things. And then when you do engage via them, a lot of times they don't know what's behind that interaction. They don't know if it's a human or, or if it mm -hmm. is just AI. And many times they don't care, but here's the trick. It's when there's a question that can't be answered in one of those three, it can't be done quickly, it can't be done super accurately, and it can't be done humane, a human has to step in and take over, right? And that's what we have to think about. It's, it's AI plus human in these interactions. The AI in the front end allows this to scale, um, to take care of a lot of the simple, easy questions that come in, but then they also then know exactly who to connect at the right moment, and then accelerate that conversation to the next steps. But we're sort of talking this mostly here in the context of what's happening right at the beginning. But let's take it past the beginning. You know, once it's past that initial conversation, hand it off into a, to a seller. How does AI help in that regard? Craig? Well, I think that we don't really know the answer yet. Because one of the things that, that one of the mantras over here at our company is that uh, today, at the beginning of 2020, um, robots can't sell but humans also don't scale. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and as, as everybody who's probably listening to this webinar um, would, would agree, selling is very, very nuanced. And um, when, when, when you hear something from a prospective buyer and you listen to the tone in their voice and then they throw an objection out on the table and you're trying to determine if that landmine was set by a competitor and who else is in that deal and you're trying to persuade and position and talk about the future I mean, these, these types of things, this is why master sales people are master crafts people mm -hmm. because they possess these skills that are so hard right now. They're so hard, uh, nearly impossible to replicate with, uh, with automation. And that's why personally, I don't believe that like robots are going to be replacing sales reps. Robots are going to be replacing SDRs or BDRs. But I think like, you know, going back to the points that we were making before that, that William and, and, and Sweezy um, clearly conveyed, there is a level of automation and intelligence about what's happening in this deal cycle. Have we seen things like this before? Pattern recognition, right? That, that hu human brains and sales managers have said, ah, guess what? I've seen something like this before. That This deal feels like this other deal that went sideways last year. Right? I'm recognizing that, that there's a pattern here, and I say we take the following steps on this transaction. That's where AI, I think, in the future is going to be really great, particularly in the core of our, of, of our CRM system like Salesforce. Sweezy, you want to follow up on that? Yeah, I just think I agree with Craig. Um, you can't replace a skilled salesperson, and a bot cannot do an entire transaction. I think there's two reasons why a bot can't do an entire transaction. Um, specifically, one, Craig mentioned the nuance. Um, there's the nuance. And two, I don't think an, a human is going to want to play a game with a bot that it knows the bot is always designed to win. Um, so if we are going to play a game with a bot, why would <laughs> I play that game? We still go to Vegas all the time, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's true. But I think the difference is when your job's on the line and it's a, it's a massive sure. deal. Um, so, you know, I think those two reasons why uh, but in terms of human plus machine, I mean, we've known this for a long time. Like, look at chess, right? What wins in the best chess games? Is it human versus AI? No, it's when AI is versus a human plus AI, the human plus AI always wins, right? So it's human plus AI is the best combination. 
And so I just want to follow up on that just a little bit, because I think, you know, one of the things that, that is sort of this gap we see in sales these days is that, you know, we tend to train sellers. We sort of do train sellers sort of table stakes, right? We're going we're gonna to help you sell, but there's really not an emphasis on performance. We're going to help you perform well and achieve well. I mean, how, how does AI sort of help fill that gap for the sellers? I'll jump in on that one. Sure. You know, I, 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 I agree with, I mean, human plus AI, that, that is the magic equation for all of this, absolutely. Um, I, I think that there, there are some things that we do know, though, right? And I, I think it's not always AI. Sometimes it's just really intelligent automation. But technology, um, regardless of the source, it, it really has a big role right now. We have so many, so much data. I mean, a lot of B2B companies out there are using dozens and dozens of data sources to try to figure out, uh, you know, who sellers are, what their intent is, who el- what other, you know, competitors they're looking at and, and, and how to reach them, right? Um, I think that, um, that technology, though, plays a really important role in helping reps focus. I think focus is just a really, really big deal. Focus on the right accounts. Right now, focusing on the right industries has never been more important than other, ever because let's face it, there's some industries that are doing really, really well right now, a lot that are completely facing a cliff and in a lot that are kind of in the middle and are kind of uncertain. So I think technology in its role just to help reps focus and then um, hopefully surface the right data that helps them um, you know, meet buyer demand in real time is really, really important. Well, let me ask the next question and sort of follow up on that. Is, is, look, if we say and we accept this vision, which I think is right, of, of uh, something that's more experiential-based, um, driven by more data, more intelligence, is as a company, if you had to prioritize where you're investing your resources in terms of your products and your marketing and sales, how would you prioritize that? Craig? It's really tough to give a generic answer to that because <clears throat> the times we're in right now are so uncertain and as William just mentioned, it's different for every company and it's different for every industry. I've talked to about 20 different uh, companies uh, and their sales and marketing leaders in the past five days, and they range wildly. So uh, one of our customers is a large advertising company that advertises to small businesses um, via, via direct mail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, they're, and they cannot sell their products right now. I've talked to a company in Switzerland that runs a business school. It's the equivalent of the Harvard Business School in, in, in Europe. And they cannot have people come to classes, right? Which is which sure. is 80% of their revenue. And and then you look at some companies like like Zoom that are that are taking off. So I can only answer that by saying we've been we've been through a period of time like this before. It's not exactly like this before, but it, but a little more than a decade ago, we had the Great Recession. And uh, when we were when we were leading and growing Salesforce at that time, we asked ourselves a simple question, which is in this environment, what can we control and what can't we control, right? And so across sales and marketing and product, I'll tell you, for example, for my company, um, in sales, my deals are slower. And so what, what can I control? I can maximize my selling potential with every transaction that I've got in my pipeline right now. And I can have my sales team double down on, on my customers. Right? I know I can control that. I can take customer satisfaction through the roof right now. From a marketing standpoint, I have to change the tactics. I can't sponsor that event uh, next week that I, would, that, I, that I was going to sponsor. 
And so everything that I do needs to be like, okay, well, what am I doing on my website? Is my value proposition right? Am I communicating in the right way? Um, and that's a surge in digital marketing and media and my website. For product, um, luckily as a software company, our manufacturing line is fully operational. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if you're manufacturing cars right now, I would say like, it's a tough time to focus on, on your product because you can't actually build anything. But as a software company, um, my company actually can continue to, to manufacture our products. So that's a huge area of focus for us because we're trying to anticipate what our customers are going to need on the other side, on the other side of this. But I do think it varies for every company, but the safe assumption is every company can, can figure out what they can control. They can double down on their customers and they can du double down on what we know is happening right now, which is like everything going digital. Well, just to follow up on one point, you had said you're maximizing the potential of the opportunities in your pipeline. So what did, what did you mean by that? But that, you know, it's as a sales From a organization, standpoint. as a sales organization, it's, it's very typical that, you know, we take the, the best opportunities and we work those like crazy. And then we take the opportunities that are kind of less likely to close. We put them in our most likely forecast column or best case type of scenario. And we give those kind of like uh, the secondary level of, um, of, of effort relative to the kind of the tier one transactions. But in an age where deals are, deals are slower or deals are getting pushed, like it's no secret, every, every buyer of every product right now is, is, um, is keeping an eye on their checkbook, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Budgets have been slashed. Approvals to, to buy anything need to go to the next level and the next level. Even sometimes the CEO has to sign off on transactions above a certain amount. And that has all been clamped down in the past couple of weeks. And so the deals that we do have in our pipeline that are, that, that are real, we are basically treating those like, like diamonds, like gold, right? And we are doing everything possible. And the whole company, it's not just the sales team. I think that's what's different about this time right now. The entire company is rallying around these transactions and providing the sales team with every single thing that, that, that they need to help them win, differentiate, get the deal closed, whatever it happens to be. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Sweezy, what about you? Yes, yeah, so I think um, I'm just going to go back and talk about some historical data, right? So there's a great, um, great data that came out of the 2008 financial crisis about what do companies do for the quickest rebound. Um, and one of those big key things was invest in key strategic initiatives, even during the downturn, right? So we all understand that the budgets are having to be squeezed and where those are going to be squeezed most and where we get the most value and bang for the buck is operational efficiencies making sure our operations are as efficient as possible, freeing up cash to then reinvest in strategic initiatives. Um, and so I think that's one of the big things. What is going to be strategic moving forward? I think we've already discussed what that's going to be. That's going to be an enhanced and an, um, enhanced focus on the experience. So just essentially walk across your customer journey and think about all the different places, whether it be a small experience or a large experience, and say, how can we make this better? What are they going to expect? And how can we deliver this in a new way? And then focus on those things from an investment standpoint because those are what's going to get you up to recovery quickest okay william yeah i i think i agree with what's been said so far i i think though you know your original question was you know prioritize product marketing or sales i actually think you know it's it's really about customer success i think that that that's probably the common denominator across you know no matter what your no matter whether you're selling yoga classes or you're selling software uh and i think that people are doing a variety of innovative things to, to actually really focus on the customers that they have and accommodating their needs and trying whenever possible to continue to add value 
Um, I think the number one thing that um, I've seen, you know, at Ringine and across some of our customer companies, though, is uh, kind of what Craig mentioned, and you know, the ability to kind of just rally cross departmentally to focus on, you know, like deals that can close in the pipeline and those existing customers that you already have. Um, you know, it, it was interesting. You know, Craig mentioned Topo. There was a sadly, you know, we were also looking forward to that Topo event. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it'll happen. Uh, again, later in this year, but you know, there was something that they said a couple of weeks ago um, that you know, in this environment, it, it's almost inappropriate to ask for a demo. Um, and I think that that that's that's true depending on what you're selling and what your approach is, right? But I think that their greater point there was just try to add value. And I think that whether there's deals that are really hot in your pipeline or were hot uh, in your pipeline, or whether it's customers you have right now. The entire company, it doesn't matter if you're in support or in marketing or in sales, you have to figure out what people need right now and just hyper-focus on that and sing from the same you know, song sheet across your whole company. Perfect. All right. So just quickly, uh, Craig, how can people find out more about uh, Qualified and get in touch with you? Apologies. Of course, you can find us on our website, which is the context that, uh, that we provide to add value to your company to squeeze <laughs> this book, Con- The Context Marketing Revolution. Really awesome. Um, my name is Craig Swensrud. I'm one of the founders of the company. You can contact me directly at Craig at qualified.com or just come to our website and uh, you'll learn more. Thank you very much for having me, Andy. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Sweezy, and in case people are wondering why we're referring to you by your last name, all webinar, it's because that's how you like to be addressed. So, so people don't think we're being rude. Sweezy, yeah. uh, likewise. Yeah, there's, there's enough Matts and Matthews in the world. Uh, my last name's unique enough. Uh, so. Yeah, so the easiest ways to find me are on LinkedIn and Twitter, uh, Matthew with one T. My last name is S-W-E-E-Z-E-Y. And a lot of the research that I mentioned is research from Salesforce, and you can find that at Salesforce uh, backslash research. And finally, William. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, William Simo here. I'm William at ringdna.com. People contact me directly for questions or uh, just better yet, go to ringdna.com. Thank you very much. And right. uh, big endorsement on that book. I'm, I'm, I'm halfway through with uh, Context Marketing, Sweezy, and absolutely loving it. Thanks, man. Excellent. And yeah, I'll just leave you. I finally, I did find that Scott Galloway quote, I thought, which is good. I'll just leave, the, leave us with that as we finish. He said, you know, things won't change as much as they will accelerate. While other crises shape the future, COVID-19 is just making the future happen faster. And I think yeah, we heard a lot of that from our guests today. So appreciate y'all joining us and uh, look forward to talking to everybody next time. listening. We're so grateful for your support of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. You can do that all on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. My team and I would really appreciate it. So thank you so much. And until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.